Coaches, how are you? This is Coach Kevin Furtado, the Championship Vision Podcast. I'd like to welcome you to another podcast, episode number 40. Today's episode, we're, I'm very fortunate to be able to interview Coach Sue Phillips. Coach Sue Phillips is the head girls basketball coach at Archbishop Mitty High School. During Phillips' 26-year tenure at her alma mater, Archbishop Archbishop Mitty High School, she established a 667 and 125 record. Under Coach Phillips, Archbishop Mitty captured 23 league titles, 20 Central Coast section titles, 12 Northern California titles, and six CIF state championships. At Archbishop Mitty, <clears throat> she is the head head coach, women's basketball, math teacher. She has a national championship in 2018, the Naismith and WBCA National Coach of the Year in 2018. She's also part of USA Basketball. She was the head coach of the women's U-17 team, 2013 FIBA America's Gold Medal Championship, 2014 World Champions Gold Medal Championship, named Developmental Coach of the Year, voting member of Team USA Player Selection Committee. She was also worked at the University of California, Berkeley, as a lead assistant coach for women's basketball. In 1999, Coach Phillips guided the women's varsity team to its first state title at the Division I level. That same year, the Monarchs finished with a 31-0 record in which Coach Phillips was named National Coach of the Year by Student Sports Magazine. In 2004, American Quarterly Basketball named her as one of five high school coaches in the country that you should know. In 2018, Coach Phillips led the Monarchs to a 29-1 record, earning league and CCS titles along with a national championship. Under Coach Phillips' leadership, the women's varsity basketball team was named national champions by USA Today and ESPNW for the 2018 season, and the team finished the season ranked number one in the country by ESPN, Max Preps, and USA Today. In recognition of her accomplishments in 2018, Coach Sue Phelps was honored with two national coaching awards, including the prestigious Women's Basketball Coaches Association's National High School Coach of the Year and the Naismith National High School Coach of the Year. Coach Phelps' program at Archbishop Mitty has produced over 50 NCAA Division I athletes, including WNBA standout Danielle Robinson and Olympian Carrie Walsh. Hey, this is a treat. Uh, today, I want to introduce Coach Sue Phelps from Mitty High School in San Jose, California. Welcome. Hey, coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. This is Joe's Decision from Unleashed Potential, and you are now listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, Coach. Uh, hey, Kevin. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. 
Yeah, sometimes these Anchor apps, uh, I've been using it a long time, but sometimes just if it's a Wi-Fi disconnect, something like that, but that, that's not a problem. Um, hey, if you could, Coach, uh, you're telling about your story and how you got, um, you know, kind of led to, the, you know, to how you got into coaching and so forth. Mm-hmm, uh, can mm-hmm. you, you go back over that? Uh, I sure would appreciate that. Oh, sure. I think, I think I missed most of that, and I apologize again. Oh, no worries. Well, what's funny was uh, I got a phone call, too, and I was wondering, as I was talking, could you hear the, the phone ring? And uh, so I, anyway, right. yeah, I was distracted and scattered anyways. So as a, as a, start from the beginning, as um as you may or may not know, my, you mentioned something about my parents. Well, my parents yeah. are immig- my, my parents are immigrants from Poland, and they came over uh, during World War II. And my father was a concentration a concentration camp survivor and was orphaned at the age of ten. Um, and I'm blessed to say that my parents are still here with us in California. And my dad is 93, and my mom wow. is 80, 85, and they're they have their wits about them, and they're in good health. Um, all things considered and very grateful about that. But in growing up, my, my folks, regardless of the circumstances, always believe, you know, it could be worse. And our glass was always half full and we never made excuses. And we were about hard work and education and church. My parents, uh, we were born and raised Catholic. I went to Archbishop Mitty High School, which was a Catholic high school. And from a very young age, my mom had me play all the sports. I think I drove her nuts. I think she wanted to just get me out of the house. And so she had me on a swim team, a bowling team, a soccer team, um, a basketball team, a softball team, uh, a volleyball team. I mean, I can't even make this up. It's like I played everything. And in, in high school, um, I basketball, softball, and club soccer. And um, I was blessed enough uh, to be recruited to out of uh for basketball and softball and came down to cal for basketball and um uh softball at northwestern university and i decided to play softball at northwestern on scholarship and um i knew very quickly that i wanted to come back to the west coast because i couldn't handle the weather um but i i you know graduated from northwestern playing four years of softball there um but all the while knowing i had a full ride at cal for basketball there was a little bit of um, itch for me to continue to play because it was another sport that I loved. And so my roommate and I in college would oftentimes bring a blow up basketball um, or a little basketball and we would sneak our way after we would shower after a, a road trip, we'd shower and get into the, the main arena and get some shots up just to <laughs> say, you know, we, yeah, we got some shots up um, at Michigan or Indiana Michigan State, you know, these these schools that had such a rich tradition for uh, men and women's basketball in the Big Ten. And I always, always found myself studying the game. I was intrigued by the players and the coaches. And because I didn't play college basketball, there was a little bit of a, you know, I wouldn't say a chip, but maybe a reminder, hey, you might not have the pedigree that some of your counterparts have. So it's really important that if you do want to get into coaching, that you continue to be a life learner and that you watch a lot of film and ask a lot of questions and go to practices and um, just try to get better any way that you can and can, regardless of level or gender or whatever the case may be, um, try to better yourselves to be a better coach 
as it relates to X's and O's and et cetera. So after I, you know, realized I wanted to coach, I started coaching at, at uh, Archbishop Mitty. I coached both uh, in the softball program and the basketball program. And as sports evolved and became more demanding, plus working here full time in the math department, it became very clear that I needed to not have so much on my page. But for five years, I did both. And um, then I just opted to focus on softball. I mean, excuse me, focus on basketball and not softball. Um, and, you know, I'm in my 27th year here as a math teacher and basketball coach. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I credit my parents for, you know, A, getting me involved in all the sports and recognizing how valuable being a part of sports can be in terms of developing self-esteem and uh, confidence and all those life lessons like discipline and teamwork, all those things that, that can be um, cultivated through participation in sports, I think is an invaluable lesson that as a coach to this day, I try to implement with my players. Yes. And it says a lot about the success you're having through your, I tell you, your parents, just through the toughness and the ordeals that they went through. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no excuses, right? No, just no excuses. Uh, and I'm sure they taught you the hard work, the value of hard work and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's a that your parents, my parents are still alive too. And I feel so mm-hmm. blessed. I agree. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, my dad's 85, my mom's 80. 78-79 and um, I feel so blessed because I know so many people that their parents are not alive and I just every day it's just a great blessing and sometimes I need to do more <laughs> to show that appreciation because I, I don't live close to them right now but um, I tell you what I admire that I love what you said about you play that was my next question you played softball but coached basketball so <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting um, so you do have somewhat of a, you're trying to prove yourself. Is that right? A little bit. I mean, well, again, I think a chip on my shoulder is the wrong way because the wrong way of thinking about it. But it, but it is a reminder to myself that I don't have the background that some people do. And, and yet I still have a knack for being able to coach a sport that I didn't play per se at, at a high level. Um, and so I think it drives me to want to continue to learn because I can't rest on those laurels. I have to continue to better myself and, and be a life learner. In a few years ago, I guess it's now been about five years, I went back to school to get my master's in performance psychology. So that was another way for me to become a more effective communicator, a more effective motivator, and, and really understand what makes people tick was to go back to school and it didn't have anything to do with basketball per se, but it, it helped me become a better teacher and coach um, and manager for that sake of people. So um, I just keep looking for ways in which I can better myself. And I think that attitude is contagious with your players when you, you demonstrate that you're still trying to learn and better yourself and that, you know, I take ownership for my mistakes or shortcomings. And again, I'm not making an excuse. It is what it is. You just have to get better and find a way on how to rectify the situation. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. because I did read an article about that. You went back and got your master's. Um, and I think that topic of performance psychology, 
I did, that must have been kind of fun. I, I bet you learned a lot because what what's what is coaching all about, Coach? I mean, it's about trying to motivate and inspire, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, yeah, I think ahead. Kevin. I was going to say Kevin. The one thing that really was kind of um, eye opening to me was this idea of feedback. And I think, you know, the more eager we are, the more feedback we want to provide our student athletes, our players. And yet sometimes it's detrimental, the more feedback that we're providing, because when a, a player can utilize their intrinsic own, their own feedback, whether they're, you know, the way their body feels or what they're seeing, what they're observing, what they're thinking, what their past uh, experiences are telling them, if they can make those adjustments themselves, then on game day, they're going to have a much more successful time making their own mid-game adjustments. And I find the more the kids have to rely on you, the better. Um, and so I've learned that, that feedback should be delayed sometimes or feedback should be given in a Socratic approach that we ask our players, you know, well, what, we, what do you think you should do here? What is the corrective measure? So instead of telling them, let them come up with the answer. And it's very empowering for them to, to go through that process and I think it's also um, lends itself to a sharper learning curve for them. Yes, and I actually love that because the great coaches that I've been talking to, and I, and and coach, I, I'm doing this podcast because I love mm-hmm. talking to great coaches like yourself. I tell you, mm-hmm. I get more out of this than I think than than anybody, and and I know I have a lot of listeners like me who are always contacting me, saying, "Man, when's the next one?" Um, mm-hmm. because I, I try to, Appreciate I try that. to, yeah, absolutely. And I love talking to you guys. I'm learning stuff all the time and I'm going to pick up one. I already picked up one or two things just by reading about you. Um, but I think you have amazing way of communication. You mentioned one thing about you have to be tougher and more demanding in practice and in games, you have to be more of a, I guess, more of a listener. Is that correct? Or, or less demanding. Can you explain well, that a little bit? I don't, I don't know if, if you're less demanding from the standpoint. I think you still have your accountability standards. You know, if someone is having poor body language, whether that's a practice or a game, they need to be taken out of the game and they have to be talked to and explained, you know, how this is coming across. Um, so there are some non-negotiables that I think are across the board on game day and in practice. But as it relates to the demands on, you know, the expectations of, of efficiency or, or performance level, I think that that is something that you have to be more of a cheerleader and more of their advocate than on, in practice. I think that's when you can get on them a little more and really challenge them. Um, we, we talk about being comfortable with chaos. So we, we create circumstances in which they have to deal with adversity on a daily basis, whether that's playing with an underinflated ball or swallow the whistle a little bit you know, so that they have to play through some fouls. Um, we might put them at a disadvantage defensively or, um, you know, they're, they're, they're down by a lot of points and have to try to come back in a period of time. You know, whatever the case may be, I think when you, you provide those scenarios on a regular basis for them, then game day and, uh, is not quite so um, overwhelming because they're used to, having to manage adversity on a daily basis. Cause we always talk about, Hey, we're going to have setbacks. We're going to have mistakes. The question is how quickly can you respond to have next level speed 
and how quickly can you bounce back and, and be thinking about what's next? Um, we can't have pity parties and we can't pause to admonish ourselves or, or uh, feel bad. You just got to move on. It is what it is. Yes. And I guarantee that many of the coaches that you probably coach against and so forth, I, I see it all the time. There's a lot of overcoaching going on on the sideline, isn't there? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think mean, we're all, we're all guilty of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I get so. <laughs> I mean, I think we're all guilty of it, but I, I, um, I really think it's, it's the, the, the healthiest environment is when the kids are coaching themselves and each other and that they're relying on you for support and, and feedback, but they're really coming to you for it as opposed to your interjecting your, your feedback, you're interjecting when they're actually, they're fine. You know, um, that's really when you got it rolling. Yeah. It's a player led program and ownership. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And your top level coaches, like I said before, are all that way. They just have an amazing way to communicate that to their parents. I mean, to their, mm -hmm. their players. Hey, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about, I want to talk about some fun stuff. I know you're a big warrior fan. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been a warrior fan like my entire life. Cause I grew up out there and sometimes mm -hmm. the warrior fans out here, they think they're warrior fans. But then mm -hmm. when I mentioned like, you know, the 1974 team or whatever that won the championship with guys like Clifford Ray and, you know, Phil Smith, they go, who mm -hmm. are that? So I, I know, I know there's not a lot of true warrior fans out there. I yeah. know all those old timers, uh, but tell me, I know you're a big warrior fan. Tell me, what you have learned from the Warriors and their core beliefs and their, their style of play. I know you picked up some stuff from them. Well, I think, you know, one thing that, that fascinates me is um, when I had the opportunity to go, I have a good friend that has courtside tickets. And so she'll take me every so often and I'm nice. fascinated. Yeah. It's, you can't, TV doesn't do justice for the way that those guys move and, it, anything live is just so much better than on TV, right? Even with today's graphics and technology, et cetera, um, and camera angles and all that they, I mean, it's great, but it's just, there's no comparison. So, so when I, I love to watch the action off the ball because the, the camera oftentimes is focusing on the ball or a certain angle. And what I love to watch is, is the action away from the ball or the interaction on the bench or, Converse, the side the side conversations um, during timeouts and what struck me very quickly was the chemistry uh, on the court chemistry amongst the team and how their dialogue was always very constructive and coach Kerr talks about them playing with so much joy and that was very evident um, in watching them play live and seeing coach Kerr um, just so masterfully dealing with his players when they were dealing with a, some kind of setback and he's trying to um, have some confidence restoration and, and the way in which his, his body language is and the conversation that he's having. There's so much, so many little things you can pick up, the nuances of the way that he interacts with his players. And then when you talk about the actual X and O's, I love the rebound and run situation. I think um, early in my career, maybe the middle of my career coaching, we had a, a WNBA, well, she's a WNBA player now, Danielle Robinson. She was a, a very dynamic point guard for us. And 
I was always so eager to get the ball in her hands. I mean, I, I get it strategically. It makes a ton of sense. But but when the, we would, they would send two or three people at her and, and try to take the ball out of her hands, it would really logjam our transition game. And it was, a, it was a lesson in that, hey, we need to be able to transition from all five positions. And I think that's one of the things that the Warriors do so well is that they can rebound and run from all the positions and the way that they get the ball moving from one side to the next. And that there's so much emphasis on how many threes they shoot, but the reality is, is it's, it's how many assists they have on buckets made that I think is the most mind blowing and in the beautiful motion that they have and action away from the basketball and how clay can, can score with little to no bounces, right. On a regular basis. And, um, the way that that has created this point forward uh, situation. And so, you know, our kid, Haley Jones, you know, the number one recruit in the country, top player in the country this year, she is the positionalist player. She's the epitome of that. And she's the kind of kid who can rebound a run or we can post her up. And, and it's, it's neat because she kind of mirrors what we're seeing with say, um, Igadala. That's, that's someone who can, you know, defend in the post, but can also, you know, lead the break. Um, you look at Kevin Durant. This is someone who can the post, who can be a point guard, who shoots it like a two guard, who um, it's, it's really neat to be in the Bay Area, to see the Warriors on a regular basis and, and super special to be able to, to sit courtside and watch them play um, on occasion. And, and yes, if we can mimic some of the things that they do, I'm, I am um, elated. Yeah, just by watching them, you can learn mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and and KD is amazing. Seven foot one, the guy plays like he, he handles the ball like he's six foot. Uh, he, yes. He's unbelievable. I mean, and I, I'm one of the few that think – I think, he, well, of course, right now LeBron's struggling, but KD is amazing. Uh, and I hope the Warriors can keep him. I know there's always a lot of noise out there in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But uh, all five guys can handle, right? Is that the same thing as your team? Everybody can handle the ball everybody's versatile is that is, is that one of your is that one of your um philosophies out there Mitty? yes well, you know we we like to have all people all five people on the floor be able to lead the break and um to be able to fill the lanes and transition to keep the ball keep the floor spread and get the ball moving up the floor as quickly as possible and from one side to the next and we want to take a higher percentage shot quickly so in a perfect world we're, we're having 100 possessions um and our is to have an offensive efficiency rating of 100 points over 100 possessions. Uh, We've never lost a game when we have 95% or higher in that, uh, what we call the OER, the offensive efficiency rating. And um, sometimes, you know, you're going to have a little more more turnovers, but if you get on the offensive glass, you're giving yourself more possessions and you're lending itself to a high percentage shot because you're typically getting a good look after that O board. You're getting fouled or you might kick it out for a wide open three. Um, but I'll tell you, getting back to KD, we have our, we're a Nike sponsor at high school and, um, Nike hooked us up with a, a trip to Vegas, um, for a tournament. This was in summer and, uh, we were surprised, uh, with a few things. First, we were sent some Kevin Durant's new shoes and then we had a special <laughs> workout with Sweet. some of, some of the people. <laughs> and when yeah. we get on the plane, we, we were on a, a, a private plane with, KD and oh, 
another team. And then Kevin Durant was like, he was acting like our steward. He was coming down and handing out this, the kids had a photo shoot and unbeknownst to them, they were handed a slam magazine with a, their cover on the, they were on the cover. A picture of them was on the cover and uh, they sit down and they had beats from Kevin Durant. They had headphones. They had a uh, uh, airplane pillow. And then Kevin Durant couldn't have been more gracious with the kids. They, he was signing autographs, taking pictures with them. Um, it was an unbelievable experience. And I tell you, he got more joy from treating the kids to all these, to the gear and, and autographs than I've, I've ever seen a celebrity interact I, I mean it was the most amazing uh experience and i had uh i've always been a big kd fan and now he's like at a whole nother level for me the way in which he interacted with our girls and the other guys team that was that was on the the plane with us and so with that being said i i think he you know hopefully he'll stay in the bay area um you know there's a lot of talk about i don't know what's going on on the court off the court and and i don't know i'm you know, I'm just an outsider looking in, but <laughs> I can I can tell you, sure seems happy in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he's got it made there with Silicon Valley, everything. I mean, he's mm-hmm. that's a perfect spot for him, unless he, you know, he decides he wants to go to New York or with LeBron mm-hmm. at LA. You know how rumors go, but he's perfect for that. And if he yeah. wants to continue championships, Golden State, all those guys need to stay. Um, yeah. Of course, it's all about money, right? Yep. <laughs> But um, that's awesome. Well, about what maybe not. Maybe not. It's all about money. I don't know. I say, yeah, but I, I think everybody's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Tom Brady, of course, I my 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 cousin um, uh, played at the same uh, school with Tom Brady. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he about similar ages. Of course, Tom Brady's taking pay cuts. Right. So, I mean, I guess I guess KD can do the same. Well, he um, did the same. He did. He took a pay cut last year to try to make contract room for. Some of the other guys. So he has a history of doing that. And, you know, it remains to be seen. I, 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 you know, I love them. I hope they stay together, but that's, that's my own selfish interest. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hey, tell me about, you are currently ranked. Now, are you all preparing for the national tournament coming up or tell tell, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about what you're doing now? Well, unfortunately, California, the CIF does not allow, us, uh, the teams out here to participate in the Geico Nationals. So okay. once your state tournament is over, um, you're done. So we're done. Um, yeah, and it's it's a bummer because um, it'd be great to play in a in a national tournament, but uh, that's not an option for us. And so I'm currently working with my my club program, the San Jose Cagers, and I have my fifth grade team practice tonight. And, uh, you know, we'll start up the high school girls in a couple weeks, NC2A eval period in April. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm a coach. I love it. And, and I'm going to find a players who want to get better. And, and uh, that's my element. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I, and I love that. I, um, and I think it's a shame that I think California's got to change that because I looked on the max preps all the top teams are from California. Yeah. And that's a shame that even you or even Pinewood can't go play in that, man. You guys would do great. You're one of the top teams. Uh, there's gotta be an exception to the rule. Right? 
You would think, but unfortunately, the powers that be don't see it that way. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, and I, tell me about your uh, – now, my next question is about youth development. I know you coach mm-hmm. uh, your cager team, and actually I'm trying to – I'm trying to start a program out here at my school mm-hmm. at Lake Oconee Academy. Um, mm-hmm. Tell what's your, what's your philosophy on youth development? Uh, give us a little bit of breakdown on what you are trying to teach those those kids. Well, I've I've had the, uh, the fortune uh, been fortunate to be involved with USA Basketball. I coached their national team, their U16 uh, team, and their U17 team, and we won a world championship. Um, and with my connection with USA Basketball, they've, they've also started a, um, a youth development um, kind of umbrella under USA Basketball. And they continue to be involved in the coach academies and some of their regional skills academies. And with that being said, um, we've had um, some interaction and a voice as it relates to development. And we firmly believe that we've got to grow the game through the fundamentals and, and positive coaching so that the, the kids at the grassroots levels are being experienced, are experiencing uh, a positive environment and one that's teaching them how to play the game the right way and also affording them some free play so that they have the opportunity to, you know, manage themselves and each other and, and, and learn how to, um, kind of navigate uh, free play because there's also the other end of the spectrum where it's so structured and there's so much, um, like you said, over coaching that that's not really the best of both worlds and curriculum involved. Um, And we try to model our club program with the San Jose Cagers with a lot that's done with USA basketball. We follow the guidelines about how often you should practice a week, how long that should be. Um, We guard against going year round, uh, with these younger kids so that we don't have these overuse injuries or burnout and we're encouraging them to play multi, multi-sports. Um, so, you know, say, for example, with our U10 team, you know, we want to make sure they can they do the basics. They can pass and dribble with both hands, that they have proper shooting form, that they understand how the basic movements of defense and blocking out and what does teamwork look like? Two-on-one situations, three-on-two. Can they set a screen? Can they use a screen? Can they communicate? Um, do they demonstrate proper sportsmanship when they're out on the court? Um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll practice with them two times a week for an hour and a half. Um, and then we'll sprinkle in some tournaments over the course of three months, you know, and that's it. We keep it, we keep it kind of short and sweet and, um, some kids, you know, want to go year round, you know, okay, but that's not what we're going to offer here because I think their body needs a rest, their mind needs a rest, and they could, they could be doing something else. Now, that's not to say they still shouldn't maybe pick up a basketball on their own, but I think that should be individually driven. Um, and so we do have a program that's comprehensive from fifth grade all the way through 12th grade, our, um, our club program. And so we'll have a, a team at every level. And we, we are seeing more and more kids specialize in sports. And I think that is detrimental to the kid and everyone's sport area. I mean, think about one of the best sport, multi-sport athletes I ever coached was Kerry Walsh, who's, you know, an sure. volleyball yes. player. Um, and I think she'd be the first to tell you how playing basketball helped her 
uh, in a variety of ways for volleyball. And she certainly helped our basketball team um, with her ability to play the game. Uh, so I think it's a shame kids are, are continuing to specialize. And I wish that more and more coaches and parents would guard against that and allow their kids to do more than just one thing. And I think we'd see um, maybe some of these overuse injuries, we'd see the trend start to go in the other direction. And um, we have kids that are happier playing the sport and for the right reasons, because if we're just playing the sport for a college scholarship, we're, we're kind of missing the, the, the boat here. You're putting the cart before the horse. So um, yeah, that's my thought on that. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you were a multi-sport athlete. It sounds like you yeah. played everything. I did. I and I loved it. I loved different times. I mean, I know. Yeah, I'm both of us are very similar ages. It was different, man. Everybody played every sport. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and it and it was and it's like Kevin. It was like you loved that that whenever season you were in. It was like that was my favorite sport. That was that it. was yes. that was the season I was in, and. <laughs> You know, and then the, those became your closer friends because those are the ones you were hanging out with at practice. And I mean, think about how how great it was to be influenced by these different coaches and their philosophies. Um, like I think about my my coach uh, Sharon Drysdale, was a Hall of Fame coach in softball. Her philosophy was, "I'm going to teach you a variety of ways to do something, and you're going to gravitate towards what." method is best for you and it really made such an incredible impression on me because she really made it be about the student athlete and it's it's even it's even impacted my approach in the classroom you know when we're solving quadratic equations I said okay guys you know here are your four methods square root property factoring completing the square or quadratic formula hey you decide which one works best for you and let's talk about maybe the strategies involved in in what might be better so if we can take that approach, like teaching footwork and shooting, you know, some people teach the hop, some people teach the inside pivot foot, you know, why not expose them to both and then allow them to say, hey, maybe on a, a, a pull-up jump shot, we're going to do a one-two stop, but maybe a catch on the pass uh, on the perimeter, we're going we're gonna to catch it on a hop so we can utilize either pivot foot or just catch and go into our shot. I mean, why not? why not allow the kids to kind of gravitate towards what's best for them? I think that's such a healthy approach to, to coaching and teaching. Yes. You're giving them choices. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think most coaches don't. Yeah, it's true. Sadly, it's, it, they don't. It's hard because you gotta be patient, right? Right. Coach, you gotta be really patient um, mm -hmm. and allow kids to kind of make their choices. And, and sometimes, you know, they might not make the correct choice, but I think they take, I think they learn in the long run, I think it becomes, um, I think, I think they learn, I think they learn better in the long run. Um, but yeah, for sure. yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about skill development. Um, I know of course, Doc Schepler and I love Doc and I know he teaches the hop and I've studied his shooting cause I know he has some great shooters over there. I know uh -huh. you had the coach against them. Um, so what is your philosophy on not only shooting, but offensive skill development. Um, and how do you teach that in your practices? Well, I think, you know, we are, as high school coaches, I think we have an obligation to teach them how to score um, all three levels. So, you know, you're talking about how do you, how do you score from beyond the arc? What does your mid-range game look like? I, 
I mean, I, I can tell you the amount of players, you know, it's, I don't know, 50 or so that have gone on to the next level that, that all of them have to have a mid-range jump shot because the float game can be really, really kind of uh, tricky to learn. And when you're, you're floating in the 6'5", it's not a good look. <laughs> you, know? um, right. you, you need to be able to have a pull-up mid-range jumper. And so I think that's one thing that I'm very adamant about that our kids uh, learn by the time they graduate here. Uh, and then also varied rim finishes, you know, can you finish through contact? Can you, you know, do you got an up and under move? Can you use both hands? Can you, um, can you Euro around contact? And then, yeah, we do, we do mix in a floater here and there, but I, I really feel that it's important. We look at offensive skill development with a, the full breadth of, okay, let's expand your toolbox in a way that makes sense. So, you know, we've got to be able to have varied root moves off the bounce. You know, what's, what's your go-to move? What's your counter? What's your emergency move? Um, you know, how are we continuing to develop and complementing the current skill set and yet sprinkling in that time to, to uh, remedy any kind of like weaknesses, if you will, or opportunities for growth. So, you know, some coaches might spend more time to really perfect a particular skill where I'm of the belief we should expose them to a lot of things and allow them to kind of uh, uh, see how you do a variety of things. And then we go back and revisit uh, particular skills. Um, so it takes a little bit longer, you know, say for example, with Haley Jones, uh, it was clear she was going to positions one through five. And so she would rotate when we would do position breakdown. Sometimes everybody does everything. And then other times we might want to focus on um, a particular position, maybe points, wings, and uh, posts. Um, we, we would maybe have her rotate uh, with a particular group for that day so that she was being exposed to all positions on the floor. Um, and in the long run, that was the best thing for her development. So you know, philosophically, I think the more, the more we can teach them, the better. And yet we shouldn't skip, uh, we need to teach it right. So I'm not saying we're just going to haphazardly go through things. I'm going to say we're going to teach it right. And over the course of four years, they're going to know more. Now, they might not be the, the single best, um, um, say, ball handler, but they can, they can handle it. And they've got a really nice shot. And so we're, we're looking at how can we divvy up our time to really develop the best all-around player possible. That's what we try to do. Yes, and I, I want to ask you a question. This is a selfish question. I, mm -hmm. I got a sophomore player, Destiny mm -hmm. McClendon. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think she's going to be a – she's already a terrific player. And we uh -huh. and she gets, you know, double team, boxing one. I mean, it's yeah. your typical. You know, they try to take her away, and she still mm -hmm. averages 23 points a game. She's going to yeah. be a, a – and she's an unbelievable worker. She's not strong right now. We're trying to get her stronger, but she's length. she has length. She's mm -hmm. got – she's a very astute. She's very mm -hmm. smart. Give me some things that we can do with her as compared to maybe like your, your, um, your Haley Jones uh, player. That what, what can I do to really help her – particularly now she's preparing for her junior year, which is right. an important year, right? Well, you know, Kevin, I think um, I might 
you know, some people may uh, agree with me, others may not, but I'm a firm believer that your preseason should be spent, uh, the vast majority of the time should be spent in the weight room um, because you want to um, prepare your body for the rigors of the season. So when we, when we hit the weight room and we, we deal with our conditioning um, in the preseason, it is all about enhancing performance and reducing the risk of injury. And I'm happy to say, you know, knock on wood, we've had one ACL in seven years, which is unheard of in the that's, women's game. That's um, great. And, and that one injury was a freak, um, uh, meaning she, she skinned her, blocked the shot, and then was saving out of bounds, and the tip of her foot catched the floor, and then she was trying to gather herself. So, yeah, it was just – it was horrible. Um, and we didn't, have a, we didn't have a concussion this year. We did not have an ankle injury. Um, and we play hard and physical. We play national-level schedule. I think that's a testament to our fitness level because when you start to tire, you, you, the game gets ragged and you start to lose your wits about you and you start to make decisions that, that don't make sense going in, you know, to, you're not aware of your surroundings. You're, you're um, doing things um, haphazardly. And so, you know, it's the first thing I, I said to our, our performance coach, our strength coach, is I said, hey, you did a phenomenal job with our kids in the preseason and we did a ton of maintenance and recovery work throughout the year. Um, and I, and in conjunction, our for the mileage on their legs, we do ACL prevention every day. So the first thing I would tell her is like, Hey, you need to get stronger. And here's why you need to get stronger. You're going right. to stay healthy and it's going to enhance your performance. So in the preseason, three to four times a week, she should be in the weight room and, and also working on, um, you know, some linear acceleration as well as her lateral mobility. And then as a player, you got to ask, ask yourself, okay, when, when, when we look at her skill set, let's say, okay, when, when did she get locked up? You know, what, what was the style of play? What did teams do? Um, how, how did she struggle? How was she successful? And, and what are ways in which you can combat that strategy? Um, you know, like, Daily, when, when we set a lot of small on big screens, particularly, you know, down low, that's going to free her up for some looks in the paint. And we can do that on the perimeter as well, because, you know, you're looking to hit at 6'2", who can face up and drain the three. So with, with your kid, you know, is she great in on-ball situations or is she better in space? Because sometimes I don't like setting an on-ball if, if they're going to blitz that screen and send two defenders at your best player. You know, yes, maybe. and that's what they did. Yeah, mm -hmm. Coach, that's a, we, we actually found out, we ran a lot of, um, of course, we run a five-out, we run a mm -hmm. five-out motion. We, mm -hmm. we move the ball. We find out that when all the players are getting touches, and we're, uh, she ends up getting better shots more on the mm -hmm. inside because mm -hmm. what we do is we, we set a couple high ball screens for her. Man, mm -hmm. they, just, they just take that away easily. But right. when we her inside that's where she's really money inside so mm -hmm. but she's not strong so she's not finishing as well as she's capable of just because of shoulder strength and power in the legs and things well, like yeah. that and that's a really good point to say you know if you, you put together a series of clips and say hey look you know with a little more strength in your lower body and upper body you're going to be able to absorb this contact and finish through contact now you have an and one instead of you know feeling beaten and bruised and you're, you're running ragged going to the free throw line right now. Um, you know, it's, it's a really great source of motivation. And I think it's something that is, I think, neglected and maybe not as spent as much time in. 
is um, really developing the physiques of our players to to make sure they're more durable and and they can really pound the glass when when they're physical. Um, so I'm a big proponent of that. Our when you see our team, when our kids walk in the gym, you can tell that these kids are physically fit and they are extremely strong. Yes, and I love to get an idea of what you guys are doing. I know. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm always willing to kind of just seek in and see what the top teams are doing. Because mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I know you guys have really great players, but what are the top programs doing? That's why I'm contacting you. What are you guys doing that can help a small program like me? We're at a very small school, but mm-hmm. we're very competitive. But I don't think my players right now, I don't think I'm getting them strong enough. Uh, yeah, and we I don't, think I mean, that's yeah. key to me. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's you don't you don't need um, state of the art equipment to get stronger. I mean, there's there's push-ups and pull-ups and you know sure. body weight squats and single leg activities. Um, you know, in in most cases, the I I, I don't want to. I'm just saying what I've experienced. In most cases, I've seen the ACL injuries are from deceleration, and so that development of the posterior chain is important um, and their glutes. So when you see your kids start to you know, shoot off a hop and you see their knees going inward, that's not a good, it's not a good sign. And that you, you know, we always want to see those knees tracking over their toes. And so we actually spend the first 20 minutes in practice with our dynamic range of motion that incorporates a variety of ACL prevention um, exercises. And you're like, wow, 20 minutes a day. Yeah. 20 minutes a day. And it's, um, but it's, it's, and again, some of it is basketball related, you know, it's just, it it might be a passing drill that incorporates jump shots in which they're tracking their knees over their toes. Um, and we're, we're teaching them how to land. We're teaching them how to jump. Um, we're teaching them how to push off. Um, and again, you can never, ever, ever prevent completely, but you can certainly reduce the risk and and we're going to go through whatever lengths possible to keep our kids healthy. And if that means that we're not going to execute as, as well because we're taking time out of practice, so be it. Like I'm, I'm so okay with that. And I think getting your kids stronger um, and reducing the risk of injuries. And, you know, we do stuff for their ankles. So we have an ankle injury this year. It's, it's, it's almost mind boggling to think uh, how healthy we were. And I don't think it's a coincidence or coincidence or by accident. I think there was a concerted effort to make sure that happened. Um, and um, getting your players to be stronger could be one of the best things you could do to take it to the next level. And I'm, I'm not saying to be a, a power, power lifter, or a bodybuilder. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. There are functional movements that they can do with weight or, or med balls um, that can make them better. Yeah, and that's great. And I appreciate you giving me the advice for that. I really do. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. as well, because uh, a lot of times, a lot of times we get in the weight room and, and I think a lot of a lot of coaches, they believe that the bench press, the squats and things like that. Yeah. I think I just think a lot of this, like you mentioned, a lot of the single. I love the med balls. Um, I love the bands, things mm-hmm. like that. I think actually better for the female player, even though I still think they need to do a lot of the power stuff. But um, that, that's something we're gonna, definitely we're going to be working on for this upcoming season. Hopefully, we'll get a little mm-hmm. stronger. Coach, tell me about practice planning. I know, I know you're busy. I know you got to go. But tell me about 
practice planning. How do you design a great practice at MIDI? Well, I think it's important to rec- recognize where you are in the season. So we, we have kind of three seasons, the preseason, the, the league season, and the postseason. postseason. Um, and our practices are designed differently based on where we are um, because there are, there, it's a different approach. You know, your preseason, you're putting stuff in, really got to hammer home the fundamentals. You are probably doing more conditioning. They're probably longer. Um, you're incorporating shooting when they're fatigued and um, there's a certain rhythm and flow to it. So, you know, we have blocks of time that are always allocated in the preseason for, you know, full court conditioning drills, for shooting, for free throws, for defensive shell, for uh, breakdown in passing, breakdown in shooting, breakdown in footwork, you know, go through all those things. And then in, in the league season, now you're starting to incorporate scouting report defense in your shell drills. Now you're starting to incorporate shots out of the offense, um, what you think you're going to get, what this team's going to play. You know, is it your, you know, looks out of your zone sets, is it looks out of your man sets. Um, and then your, your postseason less is more. So it's, it looks a little bit like league. You still got to revisit the fundamentals of what's looking sloppy, whether that's passing or, or um, you know, um, whether that's screening, you know, you got to clean up some things. Uh, I think, it's important to log everything. So if you said, Sue, what did you do on January 15th in 2007? I can go to my computer or I have a spiral bound. I'm a big proponent of taking all my practice plans, putting them on a PDF file, sending them to our copy center. And I have a spiral bound notebook that I give to my staff and they can look up, okay, what did we do? We played really well on, you know, 20th. What did we do the week before? Or what did those weeks look um, leading up to that, we, we peaked at a particular time. What did that look like? And I think that helps you start to uh, follow trends in, in how you're prepping with your practices. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's important to kind of know, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? What time of year is it? And you, you have to be willing to adapt and adjust based on your team's needs. So what I think we might need next Monday is going to be different because we're going to have a game and we're going to go through this week and I'm going to see some things that, that need to be remedied that, that maybe some of those things we're going to do on Monday are still going to be there, but maybe not. Um, so having the ability to kind of take a step back and, and ha- take an honest assessment of, you know, what are your priorities? Um, and I also think when you do your practice plans, you got to stay, if you say it's going to be 10 minutes, then make it be 10 minutes. Um, respect the hands of times and change modalities. You're going to keep your kids engaged and you're also going to make sure that you're touching upon different things so that when practice, at least they had some success in a certain area or they got better um, overall. Uh, Cause nothing's worse than a coach just harping on something, you know, repeatedly over and over and over for 20 minutes. I mean, it, at some point you're, you're past the point of diminishing returns. So I, I really do stick to my practice plan. I may, I may say, Hey, or, you know, we're, we're looking tired. Let's, let's take out the, the full court press breakdown. Let's put it in tomorrow. And instead let's do a shooting drill or something. I mean, um, but I'm a big stickler about time. It's like, this is what we've allocated. This is what we're going to do. And we move on. 
Yeah, I love it. That's just the discipline, I think, that it takes. Uh, it's mm-hmm. easy to get carried away with that, right, Sue? I mean, it's easy to. Yes. Oh, yes. Man, we're doing horrible here. Uh, isn't it? I think every coach has that dilemma. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, where you just kind of go, okay, let's end on something positive, and you're, you're searching for something positive. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get some right. water. We're moving on to the next one. You know. Yes. Yes. Now, and I, my my problem is is I love teaching skill development, but mm-hmm. how much? I think we're all guilty of this. How much do we? How can we incorporate skill development into our our systems, offense, defense? Um, isn't that a major problem with most practices? And how do you do that? How do you? Because our, our players are probably not as skilled as your. I gotta. My players play three sports. They come to basketball, um, and I got to still work on skill development a lot with them. Tell me, as you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what can what can I do to incorporate? It just continue to emphasize skill development on a daily basis, right? Well, I mean, I think I think Kevin, the more attention to detail, the better. So let's say let's say you're doing a, a three player weave. Why not Why not incorporate? Sometimes we do what's called the three player jump stop weave. So every time, you know, they make a pass, they're catching it on two foot jump stop. And then they have to execute a proper pass. They have to step when they pass. They have to land their foot when they pass. And at the end, we're working on a jump stop and we're passing to our, we're passing with our weak hand and trying to finish with the hand that, you know, maybe the left side. So now all of a sudden we've incorporated some skill development in, in footwork with jump stops. And, and we're also working on our ball handling skills, being able to, to pass uh, with our weak hand. Um, so sometimes I think, you know, you want to work on a particular shell drill and then we have a tendency to maybe ignore the fundamentals during the drill. So why not stop the drill and say, all right, all right. Yeah. We're going to pass with the outside hand when we reverse the basketball. So reversing the left side of the floor, we're going to left hand and we're going to protect the basketball. We're going to sweep or swing, whether that's a shoe tops or over the head. And so you can still hammer home fundamentals while you're doing a drill and yeah, you don't want to stop it 50 times, but maybe pick two or three things that you're going to hammer home while you're working on this defensive shell drill. Uh, I think it's a great way to continue to uh, drill the fundamentals and work on skill development so that you're really getting the biggest bang for your buck while you're handling your X and O or your tactical piece of practice. So it's what you emphasize probably more than anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Within that, instead of doing multiple drills, you kind of keep it simple, but you can actually teach multiple skills within that same drill. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I, and I also think it's what you choose to ignore. You know, um, right. you know, exactly. that also that also <laughs> becomes something that they'll pick up on. And so, you know, um, you, you definitely have to have some non-negotiables. So right. I, I think that helps as well. Yeah, and I only have a couple questions for you because I know you got to get sure. ready for your, your cages, San Jose cages. I know that. Yeah. Um, what are your non-negotiables? I, I know I've, I've I've heard you before um, on a video talk about your non-negotiables, but tell our audience a little bit about what are your non-negotiables at MIDI? Well, you know, the, the, the price of admission at the, at the gym door is going hard and having a positive attitude. Like, that's a deal breaker. If you have a terrible attitude and you can't work hard, then you shouldn't be here. I mean, like that's the price of admission at the door. And people are like, well, that's, that's coachability. No, no, no. 
Okay, coachability is being able to make the immediate corrective measure, which is hard, right? It's hard for kids to do that sometimes. Sometimes they don't have the body awareness. Sometimes they don't understand. Sometimes they're physically not mature enough or, or mentally they can't process it all. So a non-negotiable is, is not working hard or having a good attitude. From a, from a technical standpoint, I cannot stand offensive rebounds, giving up O-boards. So, um, right. you know, sometimes if there's a, a, a wicked bounce, all five people, you know, made a concerted effort to make contact with their player and push back, um, and they still come up with the O-board, okay. But if we have a complete, I'm going to just turn around and I'm going to just ignore my responsibility to block out, then for me, I'm taking the kid out and we're going to have a conversation. I said, hey, look. You gave the team another possession, potentially two points. I would rather you pick up a foul blocking out than giving up two points to your team on an easy putback. And then we'll put them back in and give them an opportunity to try to make that correction. But, you know, that, that's a non-negotiable. We also have conditioning standards. So if the kid can't make a conditioning standard, they're not eligible to start. And if they're not, quote, unquote, a starter, they lose their spot in the rotation. Um, so we want them to understand the – the uh, the emphasis on conditioning and fitness and that that we treat it as a premium and you're going to earn your minutes uh, whether you're a starter or coming off the bench and you're going to continue to earn those minutes and and it's it's really effort-based and these it's a conditioning standard we've had for 27 years and they're not going to change um, so these are non-negotiables where a kid is like well I, you know it's really hard to be able to I, I get that well then you're you maybe you're not in the shape that you need to be yet to to uh garner the minutes that you think you should so eventually the kids they all make it and and we are a, a very physically fit team um but i mean i don't again these are non-negotiables which seem kind of obvious but if a kid is late they're not eligible to start so that's a non-negotiable um you got to be on time and i get it we're in the bay area there's a ton of ton of traffic and if a kid <laughs> says you know i i gave myself an hour to get here and it's taken an hour and a half, and they said there was an accident. I'm going to look on the Google map and see if there is an accident. <laughs> and it, it better reflect what I'm seeing. And so we want to teach them that, you know, again, we don't want to be completely callous and, and not understand that life happens, but they should be responsible to send a text message to keep us apprised of, of what's going on with the traffic patterns, et cetera. So you know, Kevin, it's, it, they're like life lessons, be on time, have a good attitude, work hard. Um, you have a certain standard of, of uh, how hard you're going to work. So you've got to be in a certain shape. Um, we're going to block out. We want to rebound. Um, yeah. I mean, these aren't, these aren't earth shattering non-negotiables, but the thing that, that we do is we stick to them. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to waver or waffle I mean, it, it is what it is. This is this this is the standard, the expectation, and here are the consequences. Yeah, and so, you have follow up too. Something that you can you can you can have all the non negotiables, but if you don't have any consequences for not following those, and I think a lot of coaches, I think they do. I think that's one of the issues and so forth. They have too many the too many standards. <laughs> um, right. But yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's been a pleasure, Kevin, talking with you today, and I, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to talk some X's and O's and coaching and continue to kind of formulate my philosophy and think it through and hear myself say it out loud. It's always 
it's always good for me to 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 be involved in this type of process and i really just appreciate the opportunity dan thanks for taking the time out i appreciate it because i know you have a wealth of knowledge and and i know you're constantly studying the game and getting better as a coach which is amazing for such a high level and your resume is unbelievable but you're continuing to grow (laughs) as a coach i think the best that's what the best do right well yeah i i think whatever your your niche whatever your craft may be you've got to continue to to want to be better and to learn I mean that's just it's an attitude about life and it's it's so important at our level because we are we are teachers and and coaches of the game at a very impressionable age and you know what better what better modeling can we provide than showing them yeah we're still learning yeah we, we make mistakes we're still getting better and here's the attitude we should have after a setback or a disappointment, you know, what, what do we do in response to that? How does that look? And I think we have a responsibility to, you know, embrace our own mistakes and show them, yeah, we're, we're not infallible. And here's how you handle it. And this is how we're going to get better. And we're all in this together and we're all learning. And um, just think it's very healthy to have that kind of approach and attitude. Coach, thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, How can our listeners... Absolutely. How can the listeners get a hold of you? Because I, I know I'm going to have a bunch of coaches wanting to contact you, whether that's Twitter or email. Well, that's so nice. Thank you. I, I would love to continue to to talk through things. And, and like I said, it's a way for me to learn and, and also hopefully grow the game. Um, I can be reached at uh, Twitter, which is Coach S. Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, or um, if you want to send an email to dialogue uh, with some questions, some Q&A, um, I can be reached at sphillips at mitty, M-I-T-T-Y dot com. Yeah, that's great. And I'll have all the notes and everything up on my website and so forth. Because I know a lot of coaches would love to kind of seek out more information from you. Coach, thanks for taking the time out from your day. I, I appreciate that. And uh, Thank you, I wish Kevin. you guys the best. I wish you, I wish you guys the best. And uh, I'm going to continually follow you guys. And, Likewise. And, um, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Mitty. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Likewise. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, stay warm out there. Uh, I will. It's pretty <laughs> nice out here in Georgia. Uh, okay, so good. Well, good. Hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta in a couple uh, uh, a couple weeks for the McDonald's All-American game. So if you're in the area, please uh, come by and say hello. I'd love to, I'd love to see you. I'll do that. Thanks, Sue. I appreciate okay. your time. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. This is Matt Smith from United Basketball Clinics. A highlight of my week is listening to Kevin Furtado's Championship Vision podcast. Kevin has a passion for the game and helping coaches grow in their craft. He interviews some of the best basketball minds in the business, and you are sure to gain insights on how to improve as a coach. I suggest you check out his podcast today.